0: to see how uh, Jesus is uh, bringing his kingdom on earth and uh, what that means for us. Matthew chapter 5, verse 38 through 48. Uh, Pray with me as we get started. Father God in heaven, Lord, we thank you that you are a good and gracious God. And Jesus, we thank you that you have uh, broken uh, into humanity to stoop down and rescue your creation. So God, I I pray that this morning we would hear your words through your gospel this morning and and that by your spirit you would shape us to become more like you, that you would uh, call us out of darkness into your marvelous light, that you would have us repent of sin and brokenness, doubt, fears, and pride. And Lord, that you would uh, shape us to be people of joy, uh, people of grace people who have received grace and in turn give grace. God, I pray that you would have us walk in wisdom as we live out our lives uh, to honor you. So, Lord, we do give you this time and ask that you use it for your glory and our joy and that your gospel would advance to the nations. We ask in Jesus Christ's good and holy name. Amen. Matthew chapter 5, verse 38. This is Jesus speaking. You have heard, it, heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn him the other also. And if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Give to the one who begs from you, and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. You have heard it said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy, but I say to you, love your enemies... You, therefore, must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. This is God's word for us. Friends, the gospel of Jesus reorients our attitudes and actions toward God the Father, causing us to model the love of Christ to the world around us, even to our enemies. You see... It is very hard for us to love our enemies, and I would even say it's often hard for us to love our friends. (laughs) I was reading this passage this week and got to thinking, you know, it's very convicting um, as Jesus speaks to love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, how often we don't even do that for those who we consider friends. And Jesus takes it a step further to say that even we are to love and pray for our enemies. You see, in Jesus' time, there were people trying to either ignore or fulfill the law of God, and we find ourselves in the same boat. Often we hear the law of God and we want to do it to a T. We want to be right religious people, and often we strive to fulfill the law of God on our own and totally miss Jesus. Or we hear the law of God. And totally ignore it. You see, in Jesus' day, there were men that he is preaching to actually in this context that would hear Jesus' words who are trying to fulfill the law. Jesus quotes Old Testament scripture here that may be familiar to you. In verse 38, he says, An eye for an eye, and a tooth for a tooth. In verse 43, You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Both of those statements come from the Old Testament, uh, come from Exodus, Deuteronomy, and Leviticus. And there were religious men that said, hey, we want to fulfill the law of God. We want to be right. We want to do good things. But you see what they were doing is they were trying to do good actions without good heart attitudes. How often do we try to do the same thing? How often do we try to do good things, do right things, live right lives without the right heart attitude behind it? Jesus takes action, puts it on the back burner, and goes to the heart. That's what the Sermon on the Mount is all about. Time and time again, Jesus says the issue is not murder, but the heart that would cause you to want to murder somebody. The issue is not lust, but the heart behind it that would cause you to want someone that is not yours. The heart issue uh, is what is the problem here. It is not murder, but it's anger. It's not just adultery, but it's lust. It's not uh, divorce, but the heart that would cause you to want to break something that God has brought together. And in the passage here, we see that religious men were coming and saying, Hey, we're going to obey the law of God. And anytime somebody wrongs us, it's an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. Anytime somebody wrongs us, we can hate them as long as we love our neighbor. Jesus quotes those two statements, and he by no means ignores the law of God. He does not disregard the law of God. In fact, in verse 38, he says this, You have heard that it was said. Again, in verse 43, you have heard that it was said. See, Jesus says you have heard that it was said rather than it is written. Did you notice that? See, Jesus could have said it is written eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. It is written love your neighbor, hate your enemy. See, he could have quoted God's law, but he was actually addressing the problem of interpretation of the scriptures. You see, the religious guys were misinterpreting the point of the Scripture. The whole point of the law was so that people could see the brokenness around them and need see their need for a Savior. So when religious guys would come up and say, Hey, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, we're going to exact the law in such a way. They were missing the point that they should be mourning over the brokenness that is going on in the world and saying, God, we need a Savior. We need someone to reconcile us. We can't do it on our own. In verse 43... Instead of saying, hey, we're going to love our neighbors and hate our enemies because they deserve it. They're missing the point that, that, God, there's so much brokenness that you would please come down and save us and rescue us. So Jesus addresses that and says, hey, you have heard it said. You are misinterpreting the law. So Jesus comes down and reorients our hearts before he addresses the action. And so the two things I want us to see today is both gospel attitude and gospel action because often we can jump to the gospel action and end up being just like the religious Pharisees of the day that say, hey, we know the scripture. Eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. Love your neighbor, hate your enemy. We're going to do the law, and we actually miss the point of the law that it's to reveal the brokenness around us and reveal our need for a savior. So before we move forward, I want to ask you to pause and think about that. When you hear the law of God, do, you do we often do one of two things. One, we ignore it and say it's not important. Or two, we try to fulfill the law of God in our own strength. And so we're going to be good, we're going to be righteous, we're going to do the right thing. And if that's you, I want us to pause and and ask God to write our minds and right our hearts to see that the point of the law is not so that we could fulfill it in our own strength, but rather the point of the Old Testament law is to reveal to us the brokenness that exists and our desperate need for a Savior. And that's where Jesus takes it and he says, hey, before we get to the gospel actions that you are to do, we must first start with a gospel attitude that you don't have. Look at what Jesus says here. He addresses a gospel attitude of humility, generosity, service, and open-handedness. Look what he says in verse 38. You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. You see, the first thing Jesus says is, look, you need to have an attitude of humility before we can go do gospel actions and write religious things. You can't fulfill the law on your own. That's why I have come. Jesus came into humanity to fulfill the law, not to break it. He came to fulfill the law. In fact, Jesus says that just a few verses earlier in chapter uh, 5, verse 17. Jesus says, do not think I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. So by referring to the Old Testament law, Jesus is not disregarding it, and he's not calling us to fulfill it on our own, but rather he's saying, look at the law, see your brokenness, and see your need for me. I'm here to fulfill the law. And then Jesus says this, if you want to live a life of gospel action, you first must have a gospel attitude. And that means this, do not resist the one who is evil, but if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. He is calling for people to have an attitude of humility. Do you understand that humility is contrary to um, how we would live today? Humility is contrary to how uh, religious people would live in Jesus' day. In fact, people uh, took great pride in their religious uh, accomplishments and in their religious uh, life and in the good things that they would do. And Jesus says, look, you first must have humility. You see, turning the other cheek, in, in the first century Jewish culture, a backhanded slap was not merely an assault, but it, it, was, it was an insult. In fact, somebody could deck you square in the nose with a fist and then somebody else could do a backhanded slap and the backhanded slap was considered more of an insult to you it was it was a depersoning event it was it was something that devalue you as a person and jesus says look if somebody is insulting you with a backhanded slap turn the other cheek that that is to uh, be in a moment of admitting a great need for a savior and, and acknowledging great brokenness It's an act of humility. Don't try to fulfill the law in your pride. If somebody slaps you, don't, don't deck them back thinking that you are a, a prideful, righteous judge, but rather turn the other cheek and let's reveal the brokenness and our need for a Savior together. Verse 40, he says this, If anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. Jesus says we need to be generous don't resist someone who needs something for you. Have an attitude of generosity, even if that person is overstepping the righteous law and taking advantage by suing you and taking something from you. Offer them not only your tunic, but your cloak as well. Verse 41, Jesus says, hey, to have an attitude of service, if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. There's imagery here of Um, During the time of the first century Roman occupation of Israel, there would be um, times that it was said that there would would be Roman soldiers coming through and maybe would need an extra hand and say, hey, you know what, Uh, we're we're going to kind of commandeer your services for the next mile. You need to drop what you're doing, help us get this military equipment from here to the next place. And so Jesus is saying, hey, look, if, if that were to happen, if Roman soldiers were to come crossing your fields while you're farming, and they say, hey, we need to commandeer your muscles for the next mile, drop what you're doing, go with them two miles. It's totally contrary to what seems right and what seems fair, an attitude of humility, an attitude of generosity, and an attitude of service. And then Jesus says this, give to the one who begs from you and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. You see, Jesus is calling his people before they do righteous actions, before they do seemingly gospel works, to not camp out on the law and thus miss the point of the law. Rather than say eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, Jesus says, no, 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 no. Be humble. Be generous. Serve those. Go the extra mile. Be open-handed with your time and your energy and be gracious when people ask you to do something, so I just want us to pause for a minute because we we can think and say, well this doesn 't make any sense like like why would why would Jesus call us to to be doormats for other people? why would god come down and and, and live a life in this kind of circumstance, and rather than than exact the eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth law, and rather than exact the love your neighbor and hate your enemy, why would Jesus ask us to do such a thing? Right? A couple reasons why. In our hearts, apart from Christ's intervention, we don't want to do that. I mean, do you? If I were to ask you right now to come over and help me, you know, Move a bunch of heavy stuff a mile. Would you just automatically say, "Yeah, I'll go too"? I mean, if Jesus isn't in you, you won't. You're like, "Dude, I got I got an epic nap to take this afternoon." Or, "Sure, I'll do it if you you know buy me a pizza," right? In our hearts, we do not want to do those things, and I believe that's part of why Jesus asks us to do it, because He is fulfilling the law by showing us that. It's the point of the law, and it's what Jesus is bringing to light here, that that we cannot do it in our own strength. We cannot be perfectly humble, perfectly generous, perfectly open-handed with our time, money, and energy, and, and perfectly serving one another. We just can't. That was the point of the law to reveal that, and that's what Jesus is bringing to light here, too. Another point of the law was to reveal to us our need for a Savior, and I believe that's why Jesus calls us to do these things, because we can't do it. Jesus has to help us do it. The Holy Spirit has to shape us and change us to be like Jesus so that we can do this. In fact, everything Jesus teaches here, he models through his life, death, burial, resurrection, and ascension. In fact, Paul writes in Philippians 2 that Christ is modeling this perfect act of service by by not counting his Uh, heavenly estate as something to be grasped but actually taking the form of a servant coming to earth and to live among dirty, sinful, broken people to take his heavenly glory and put it aside for a season in order to come and rescue his undeserving bride. You know, Jesus came to die for sinners. Sinners are not friends of God. Sinners are enemies of God. Broken people are enemies of God. Jesus says, love your enemies. He modeled it perfectly, did he not? See, Jesus fulfills the law by living his life perfectly. And as he is teaching here, he is doing the point of the law to reveal our brokenness and to reveal our need for a savior. So when Jesus calls us to be people of gospel humility Exhibiting, uh, of having a gospel attitude, attitude, exhibiting humility, generosity, and service. He is showing us that we cannot do that on our own and we need him to rescue us. But secondly, there is a call to action. Action in light of the gospel. Look what Jesus says in verse uh, 43 and following. See, first the attitude has to be there. You have to have a transformed attitude in light of the gospel, an attitude of generosity and humility and service. Because apart from that, we can jump to the actions of the gospel and just turn out to be religious people that Jesus was preaching against. We can say, well, look, I, I went. I did the mile. I put in my time. I'm not knocking on any tradition, but let me just tell you, if you grew up in a church, you may notice that we are lacking something that older churches maybe that you grew up in, that I grew up in, used to have. And that was like an envelope that says, hey, Bible brought. Did you ever have that? Envelope that says Bible brought, check. Bible read, double check. Did you bring your tithe? Absolutely. I used to hate that thing because it made me feel like I could just do exactly what needed to be done to fill out that well. I shouldn't say I hated it, I actually loved it. That was the problem. I thought that if I checked my envelope when I was in middle school, I did my good deed and, you know, and, and I'm not knocking on it because God used that as a season, but I will say over time that caused me to be pretty prideful in my religious stuff, you know. God doesn't call Jesus doesn't call us to jump to the action. He first addresses the heart of a need for a Savior to be transformed as people who are humble, serving, and generous. And then he does a call to gospel action, and that is to love, to pray, and to mature. Look at what Jesus says in verse 43. You have heard it said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy, but I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven, for he makes his Son rise on the evil and the good, and sends the rain on the just and the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? I love that statement. You see, tax collectors were considered the lowest of the low, even though they they had a good job. They were traitors to their own people. They were taking money from God's people and giving it to the government, and and it was part of their job to exact financial uh, taxes um, of God's people. And so that was a pretty big insult for Jesus to say, hey, everybody, just so you know, if you're just loving your friends and and loving your neighbors, hey, tax collectors do that. You're no better than a tax collector. You're no better than the lowest of the low if you refuse to love your enemies. Even the worst of the worst love their own neighbors. See, the gospel call to action is one of love. Love is not just a feeling. It is not just an attitude. It is an action. It is actively doing something to care for somebody else. And Jesus says, hey, love your neighbor, yes, but love your enemies. Love your enemies. It is an action that reflects the Father. Jesus goes on to say that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. It is a reflection of God the Father who loves his wayward children. It's a reflection of the gospel when you love someone who does not love you back. It's why Jesus came to earth was to show the love of the Father to broken people. We were enemies of God, Scripture says, and then Jesus came to die and rescue us and to bring us into his family so that we can be sons and daughters of God. And so when you love those who do not love you back, when you love those who are your enemies, you are reflecting the love of a gracious Father to them. This is hard for us. This is not calling us to be doormats for people. It's calling us to be uh, reflections of a loving father. If you have children, you know how sometimes your kids can cop an attitude with you and maybe don't want to be around you. There's no explanation for it. It's totally bizarre. But sometimes kids will just get mad at you and, and they'll just, they can say some mean things. But as a father or a mother, you Never cease to love your child. You never cease to do anything for that. And that is just a m- glimpse of how this epically cosmic love of the God, of God the Father stoops down and is reflected through Jesus the Son. And as God calls us into his kingdom to be sons and daughters, we reflect that love to others. It is action to love others, to love our enemies. Jesus says this, pray for those who persecute you. Most of this, Most of us in this room have not experienced severe persecution that is overseas, there are several of you who have experienced severe persecution, life-threatening persecution, life-altering persecution. But even in our context around here, maybe there are relationships that are broken, maybe you have lost uh, family or friends or broken relationships because of your faith, maybe there have been things that you have not been able to move forward in, in your job because of your faith, Maybe there are those who know that you are a Christian and they are out to make things hard for you in the workplace or in the school. And Jesus says this, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. The word for pray here is is supplication. It means asking on behalf of another person who's not even asking. It, It means going before the Father because you were his child. That other person may not be. And you were going before the father and saying, would you you be so kind, God, to do such and such a thing for this person? We have twins, many of you guys know, who will be four next week. And uh, one of my favorite things with the twins is when one of them will ask a parent for something on behalf of the other one. It's just like, to me, it's the sweetest thing. You know, Sadie will come up and say, hey, dad, Nora wants some water, and I'll Give a cup of water to Sadie and Sadie will take it to Nora. It's the sweetest thing to me that one of my children would come up and ask me to give something to her so that she can give it to her sibling. And in the same way, Jesus is saying, hey, ask, pray. Pray is supplication. It is asking on behalf of somebody else before the Father. We have access to God the Father as Christians. And if there are enemies out there who are either not Christians and have no access to the Father or or maybe they are living uh, in sin or maybe there's a moment of rebellion where they are not believing the gospel and they are hurting you, they are hurting God in the process. And Jesus says, pray for that person. Come before the Father that you have access to and and plead, God, would you be so kind to change this person's heart? Would you be so kind to bless this person even though they don't deserve it Because, because I don't deserve it? This is a huge challenge for us. Personally, this is huge for me. When I have been wronged, I sure as heck do not want to pray for the person. I don't want to pray that God would bless them. Are you kidding? (laughs) But I love what Jesus says. Love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. When you were praying for somebody who is your enemy, it is such a blessing to you. It's just an excuse for you to spend time with God the Father. How awesome is that? Somebody else's brokenness has caused for you to hang out with your dad. Jesus says this. He makes his son rise. That jumped out at me this week. I believe Jesus is very intentional there. Jesus doesn't say he makes the sun rise. The sun, he makes his son. Jesus is saying, "Hey, that sunshine that is coming down belongs to God the Father. God is causing the sun to rise on you and the unjust person, on you as his child and on that enemy as well. God is causing his son to come and the rain as well." I believe Jesus used that word very intentionally to catch the attention of the hearers, and it definitely caught my attention this week as I was studying this passage. It's a reminder that the sun is God's, the rain is God's, even the enemy that is hurting you and in turn hurting God is God's responsibility. Gospel action to love, pray, and finally to mature. This is pretty cool. Verse 48, you therefore must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Jesus is not calling you to be uh, an absolutely, morally, ethically, uh, religiously, absolutely righteous, perfect person in that statement. that word perfect really means complete. It means mature. And if you read in Scripture in the New Testament, numerous times there is, there is this call to maturity as believers that we are to grow to completeness, to fullness, to maturity. This doesn't mean we are flawless, but it means we are progressing to maturity. It means being in a right uh, and secure relationship with God and with others. That is an impossible command from Jesus. Jesus. Jesus says to be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect, to be complete, to be mature, to be full. It's just like the icing on the impossible cake, Jesus. Jesus is saying be humble, be generous, serve, love, pray. Oh, yeah, and just be perfect like God the Father. No problem, right? Right? Again, I say to you, Jesus is revealing the whole point of the Old Testament law is that there is brokenness that we cannot fix. There is perfection that we cannot achieve. There is righteousness that we cannot do in our own strength. We need a Savior. And for these words to come out of Jesus' mouth, he is revealing that he indeed is that Savior. And so I want to ask you to think about a couple things first in this order before we go to love, pray, mature. I want us to first pause and just do... Some heart work. What is your heart attitude? Uh, is there humility that God is, is maturing you in, or is there pride? Because we can do religious right things out of pride? Do you have an attitude of humility? Do you have an attitude of generosity? Do you have an attitude of service before you do those things? Is your heart attitude there? I'll be honest with you, the default mode of my heart is not that. My default, my heart's default mode is not humility, generosity, and service. The default mode of my heart is, I'm awesome, leave me alone. There, I said it. I need Jesus. I need a Savior. I open the Bible every morning right when I fall out of bed and crawl to the coffee maker. I'm like, Jesus. (laughs) Jesus. I'm not humble, I'm not generous, I don't feel like serving, I just want to lay in this king bed and binge watch Daredevil, leave me alone. (laughs) So friends, we need to repent of our pride, repent of our lack of a generous heart. I just, by the way, I just have to say this, I love that... We really need to know that generosity is an attitude of the heart, not just a thing you do. In fact, Acts chapter 2, if you read the passage of Acts 2, 42 through 47, great passage of when the Holy Spirit moves in a mighty way, and, and the gospel is preached, and thousands come to faith, and the church is just being assembled into this awesome machine. This great verse at the end there says, they had glad and generous hearts. I just That statement just blows me away. They didn't just do generous things like a bunch of curmudgeons we're generous. They had glad and generous hearts. In the same way Jesus is saying, be humble, be generous, have a heart of generosity, a heart of humility, a heart of service. So if you were like me, I'm sorry, but we need to repent of our pride, repent of our heart attitudes and lean on Jesus and beg him to rescue us from that. Secondly, I want us to respond in this way. Look at The action of love, pray, and maturing in light of our enemies. If you are here today and you have... I mean, we we first just need to say, do you love and pray for your neighbors, your friends, fellow believers? Because if we're not doing that, I don't think that we can actually jump to loving our enemies. So first, are you loving and praying for fellow believers, family, friends, and neighbors? But moreover, Jesus says to love and pray for your enemies and to mature toward the Father. I want to ask you to ask God to bring to mind those in your life who maybe are your enemies. Maybe maybe it's a very severe, broken relationship. Maybe it's somebody you just don't get along with. Maybe it's somebody who just, for whatever reason, they just don't like you. And you're like, why don't they like me? And this person... Um, so ask God to bring to mind who is is an enemy, perhaps, in your life. Ask God to grow you in love, to grow you in prayerfulness toward that person. Ask God to bless that person. Just ask that God would change their heart and bless them so that they would see the love of the Father. Pray that God would perfect you, to complete you, to bring you to full maturity I think, friends, that if God, if, if we come before Christ and admit our brokenness and admit our need for the Savior and, and ask God to grow us in humility and generosity and service and to ask God to grow us in love and prayer uh, toward our enemies so that we mature toward the Father, I, I think this congregation would be marked with unbelievable joy. I believe this congregation would be marked by unbelievable effectiveness for the kingdom and the city. I believe that God would use Redemption Church as a congregation as well as your own personal lives uh, privately and in your families and in friendships. I think God would would amaze us by what he would do through us if we would uh, beg Christ to rescue us and change us to be humble, generous, serving, loving, praying, maturing people. You with me? We're going to have a time of response, and I would ask you to, Uh, Take a few minutes to meditate on this, to think about this, to pray for yourself and to pray for your enemies. If you have an enemy, pray for them. They need Jesus and so do you. So do I. So pray uh, for your enemies. Pray for yourself. Repent and believe the gospel. Um, There's a few ways that you can respond during this time. Before us, we have wine and juice And bread, the bread represents the body of Christ that was broken for you. The wine and juice represents the blood of Christ that was shed for the forgiveness of sin. If you're a believer, we invite you to come down these aisles, tear off the bread, dip it in the wine or the juice. It's a way for us to worship Christ and also a way for us to proclaim the gospel uh, over one another during this time. (coughs) Excuse me. Um, Also in the back, there will be um, some folks with orange lanyards uh, that say, may I pray for you. If you want to have someone pray with you or talk you through how to apply this good news, this gospel to your heart, uh, please see someone in the back. We, we want desperately for all of us to uh, grow in faith um, and the worship team will come and you can respond also uh, by singing. So uh, pray with me. Uh, Father God, thank you for this morning. Lord, I pray that you would stir us up as your people, God, as sons and daughters. Lord, that we would not take lightly that you have rescued us and called us to be your children. Uh, But, Lord, that we would see it as a great responsibility to mature, uh, to reflect you as our loving Father. Uh, Jesus, I thank you that you uh, bring gospel perspective on uh, the Old Testament law, that you help us see that we are indeed broken, needy people uh, who who are desperate for rescue. And, And thank you, Christ, that you are our rescuer, that you have lived the perfect life that we should have lived, and that you died a death in our place as our substitute and that you rose again and reign on high with God the Father. And Lord, I pray that this good news would shape us constantly in our minds and in our hearts that you would shape us to be uh, humble, generous, serving, loving, prayerful people. Not only for our neighbors and fellow Christians, but Lord for our enemies. And that this would be a, a countercultural cultural um, characteristic of your people, Lord, that this would uh, we would see great change Uh, in our lives personally, in our families, in our neighborhoods, through our missional communities, through our workplace and schools. And and Lord, uh, that this church would be used as an instrument of your grace to the city of Augusta. Uh, Lord, I pray that these things would happen for your glory and our joy and that Christ's good news would ripple out from our lives out to the nations. We ask in his good and holy name. Amen.